Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Amanda Abea is an award-winning content creator, keynote speaker, and business coach who specializes in helping business owners activate their persuasion prowess so they can make more money and live a more affluent life. Her clients go from hating sales and marketing to achieving 90% close rates and closing multiple five-figure deals. Her work has been featured in Forbes, Huffington Post, Business Insider, Univision, and many more. Prior to teaching marketing and sales, Amanda spent a decade as a financial writer and wrote content for companies like Wells Fargo, Discover, Credit Karma, Santander, and more. She also partnered with companies like Capital One and TransUnion in financial education campaigns. She's also the Amazon best-selling author of Make Money Your Honey and has created a community of over 60,000 people across social channels. So Amanda, welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We are super happy to have you here today because you and I are going to discuss one of my favorite topics, which is money, money, money. Money, money, money. Thank you so much for having me to discuss one of my my favorite topics too. What a coincidence. (laughs) Great, great, great. Terrific. So why don't you start out? I've given this intro and that's given a little peek behind the curtain, but why don't you start out just telling us kind of your journey uh, that led you to doing what you do today? Where, Where did you start? What'd you go to school for? So funny story, I went to school for literature and I considered law school for 2.5 seconds, Uh, took like a logic class in undergrad and decided, hell no, I'm not doing this. (laughs) My brain does not work this way. Um, So I actually ended up becoming a writer before we we were talking. You mentioned you did a lot of writing in law school. I was like, yeah, I was a lit major. I did a lot of writing too. I get that. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, writing a whole lot of papers and theses and things like that. But um, basically what happened was in 2010, I couldn't find a job. And there were all these articles about how millennials just took pictures of their food. And, you know, we were lazy and living at home. And I was like, yeah, but we didn't tank the economy. Like, like two plus two is not equaling four. Something's not making sense. So I just started asking a ton of questions and, you know, had a lot of anxiety. I had my quarter life crisis a little early. I like to tell people a friend handed me a book called the art of nonconformity by Chris Gillibo. And in that book, basically what happened was it was telling me like, oh, you know, you could just make your own job and like travel the world. And I was like, why did nobody ever tell me this? Why is this the first time I'm ever hearing this? So I Googled how to make money writing. Cause I was like, I'm just going to be a writer. That's what I know how to do. Right. Just spent mm-hmm. four years writing papers. There's gotta be some skill in here somewhere. Um, right. And that's how it started. And one of my first ever clients had a bunch of uh, personal finance articles that were available. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about money. What if I get paid to learn about money? And at the time it was literally like 15 bucks an article, but to a 22 year old who can't find a job in 2010, that's like a million dollars, right? Doing something that they like to do. So that basically created an eight year career where I was a freelance writer. I did eventually end up specializing like in personal finance and about, I don't know, year six or seven, I started running into a problem and that problem was, oh, I can't scale this. Oh, that's an issue. 
Yeah, that's a really big problem. And I was one of those people who was always like, Oh, I'm going to be a writer forever. Or I did one on one coaching on the side. Oh, yeah, I got a coaching certification throughout all this process. Because people just kept asking me, how did you do this? How did you do this? How did you do this? So I'd been doing it on the side, like one on one, didn't really focus on it. And I was like, and I was that person who was always like, Oh, yeah, I'm going to write forever. Or I love working with people one on one. Yeah, until you start getting close to six figures, and you realize that you're working eight days a week and you're like tethered to your phone and your computer and you're like I want to take a damn vacation and your clients start turning into your bosses then you're kind of like nope you know what I'm over this yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gotta make another move yeah and and that's what I tell my clients now even if they're just starting out I'm like you better think about scaling from the beginning like if we're gonna do it let's do it right from the gate and the other thing that happened was because I was a financial writer, I was like, oh, we're overdue for a financial crisis. This was a conversation I was having with myself in like 2016, 2017. And um, what ended up happening, right, was I was like, I got I to gotta come up with a plan B because one good market correction and all these banks are cutting their marketing budgets. That is the first thing all these companies are going to do with one good marketing correction. Turns out I was right. That's exactly what happened in 2020. So I was like, okay, so I need to come up with a plan B that's basically recession proof. And I also need to come up with a plan B that's scalable. And I was like, well, why don't I just take everything I've learned from creating this first business and create some sort of intellectual property out of it. At the time, I did not know about the term intellectual property. I was just like a system, a system, a system. I need a system. That's what I was thinking in my head. I created Persuade to Profit, which is now our 90-day best-selling sales training program. At the time, it was a lot more influence and marketing because that's what people were asking me for. I made $10,000 in cash in two weeks yeah. without even creating wow. all the videos yet. That was just on pre-sale. Wow, wow, wow. And so what made you realize, because a lot of what you teach now is you teach, you teach sales. So what made you realize that, first of all, that there was a difference between marketing and sales and two, that you needed to make that shift. And that's where the key is in making money. Yeah. So for me, what ended up happening was, um, and it was so funny. I, I've basically been in sales since I was 20, but nobody told me, <laughs> which I, now that I teach sales, I hear happens a lot. And that's just because like management, it's not all the way there and not exactly yeah. doing a great job, but I've actually been in sales since I was 20. I did fundraising. I was a recruiter. I did, you know, tours at my college to potential donors. Like it's all sales. Then I was a right. freelance writer. I was pitching every day. One of the, the hardest lessons I had to learn in my first business was like, Oh, you got comfortable and you weren't pitching. And then here come, you need emergency oral surgery and had to slap it on a credit card. And I always learned my lesson, always be pitching. Right. Same thing. Always be selling and always be closing and always be promoting. It's the same. Mm -hmm. The thing is, no one had connected the dots for me. And I actually had an experience because, uh, as I mentioned, while I was a writer, people had been asking me for one on one coaching. Um, and I tried to focus on that for a while. And I was actually rejected 60 times in one month. Wow. Wow. So how 60. did that feel? How did you deal with that? Emotional. I quit coaching for a while and just focused on the writing because I was like, I'm terrible. I suck. Meanwhile, I was picking up freelance writing clients like it was no big deal. Right. Yeah. Even though that's yeah. the same thing. It's sales. It's just that the I now know in retrospect that the product that I was offering was off. Right. Yeah. I know that now also, in retrospect. I didn't know that then. Also, it's kind of interesting because uh, so this is something that I know a lot of 
a lot of business owners that I've coached through the years and myself, same thing, is, is we think our values in the doing oftentimes. So when you're writing, there's an end product and here's the thing. It's not something where we're using, using we're transferring knowledge just by having a conversation with somebody. And so we think, well, that's what value does that have versus right. the value of I've given you something, I've done something myself that I can trade you for the money, like psychologically making that transition from the doing to who you're being is, is a huge, huge leap. So you were, when you were doing, because I was a freelance writer as well. I started out, my undergrad is in journalism and I started out uh, in, I had a career in marketing for 15 years before I became an attorney and was a copywriter. And when I did freelance work, I worked for agencies. I worked in house places. When I did freelance work, same $15 for, you know, an article, how are you going to live on that? Right. Right. So, so changing, you know, growing and understanding that the knowledge that you've acquired through all the doing all those years has value in and of itself. And so it sounds like you really discovered that when you discovered the sales. Yeah. And then what ended up happening was um, when I started creating the system, I was working with a mentor who like helped me organize it. And um, we, we had a sales training as a part of that. And I had taken a bunch of sales trainings by women at this point, and I still wasn't closing anybody. And there's a reason I say that, right. And why I do what yeah. I do now, but you know, she, we did a boot camp or whatever. And she was like, you're really good. And I was like, huh, what are you talking about? I got rejected 60 times in one month. Again, not remembering that I've been in sales since I was 20, right? She yeah. goes, no, just make this one tweak. I couldn't even remember what the tweak was, right? At that exact same moment, I moved out of um, my house into a condo in a nice area. The opportunity just presented itself. I always wanted to live on the water. I was like, I'm doing it, right? So now mm -hmm. I'm like, dang, I got to sell some ish now. Like, because <laughs> I got rent <laughs> to pay in a really expensive neighborhood in Miami, Florida with a bay view. Like I need to figure this out. Um, right. And synchronistically what happened, I had like three people within that month mention Grant Cardone to me. And I was like, who is this guy? Why does he keep coming up? Why do people keep talking to me about this guy? Right. And then I saw an interview of his come up on um, some interview he did with Lewis Howes oh, a few years ago. And, um, you know, I, for those who don't know who Lewis House, he has like this talent of humanizing people on his podcast <laughs> mm -hmm. because Grant Cardo can be a very rough dude and turn a lot of people off. Um, but he, he really went in there with some insightful questions. And I heard Grant Cardone talking about the financial system because he's an a real estate investor as well. And he basically started having answers to all these questions I'd been asking myself for years as a financial writer. It's like, I'm doing all the right things. I'm still not getting ahead right? How many times do I have to write articles about budgets and people still don't get it, right? Like I've been asking these questions and he was like, cause it's all made up. Like this, this is so backwards. What we teach people how to do, right? You need to learn how to make income. And I heard him say, spend 95% of your time making income and 5% of the time managing it. And I was like, well, that's the total opposite of what I've been writing for the last seven right. years. So that right. makes sense. Right. Right. Um, and I found his stuff, right. And I started training with him and then his sales training was actually way more helpful than all the women's sales trainings I'd taken previously because it wasn't passive. Yes. Yes. Totally different. Totally, totally different. different. Right. Um, so I started getting results really, really fast. 
like really fast between bringing out persuade to profit and having the right product and then being in the right environment with the right sales training within a year i quit all my freelance writing clients i probably could have done it within six months but i just didn't run the numbers <laughs> <laughs> now i run uh, numbers all the time right yeah. but at the time i was not i still wasn't thinking that way right i wasn't i wasn't in my ceo mind back then still Right. So I quit freelance writing. And then like six months after that, I had to hire my first employee because the business doubled in revenue and profits within a year. It was wild. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. So, Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Right. And then when I hired my first employee, that's when we started entering scaling phase. And then that's been a, we just came out of building out a lot of systems and infrastructure. I did not enjoy it at the time. I'm really thanking myself for it now. But while we were in that process, I'm still doing sales. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, scaling's expensive. You better know how to sell. Yeah. Like, yeah. you better know how to make money and yeah, go get absolutely. it. Because absolutely. Because it's expensive, right? Until you're on the other side of it. And then the revenue increases and the profits start increasing. But in that, in that time period, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, and then the other thing that happened was in that time period, I kept talking to women over and over and over and over again who had all this influence, but they still didn't know how to sell. They were told to start doing launches. They were told to post on social media. They were told to, um, you know, do live videos all the time, right? So they had all these leads, but they had no idea what to do with the leads. They're like, I'm marketing and no one's buying. And I'm like, because marketing and sales aren't the same thing. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to ask you, I want to ask you some questions about sales. I want to jump into this discussion because women law firm owners, um, attorneys, period, when, but when they shift to owning a business, it's really critical that you learn how to sell because if you're working for someone else and somebody else is bringing in the business and you're just focusing on being an attorney, it's one thing. But once you own your business, you really need to learn sales skills. And I think the word sales often puts people off because they think, ew, I hate selling. I don't want to have to talk somebody yeah. into hiring me. I want them to hire me because they have this problem and I'm here and I've got the solution and it makes me feel icky. Mm -hmm. I tend to think of, you know, the classic used car salesman or right. whatever it is that they associate with negative connotation. For you, did you have any of those sort of preconceived beliefs or notions or anything that you had to sort of overcome when you started thinking oh, about sales? Totally. Yeah. I'm a recovering under earner. The book Overcoming Under Earning is really great for this kind of stuff, by the way. I actually just interviewed the author for my podcast and I was like, oh my God, my hero who changed my life. It was great. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm a recovering under earner. I'm a recovering people pleaser. I'm a recovering overgiver. Right. Yeah. And I, all of those are classic for women attorneys. A lot of women attorneys I talk with. Yeah. Uh, it's just classic for women. Right. Yeah. Period. Right. And so I'm recovering of all of those things. Right. And I think the biggest one for me, because I considered myself a creator for a long time was I was just afraid of becoming a sellout. And then every time the business grows, I kind of go through that again. So for example, we just um, hired an associate coach in the last three months. We've got her trained up. She's delivering our main program to those clients now, not me. And it's a transition period. And then here comes that story again of like, who do you think you are? You're being a sellout, blah, 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 blah. And all this garbage we tell ourselves, right? Whenever we're about to expand. And I was like, nah, you can, you can take a backseat ego because if in order for me to help the amount of people I want to help, I need, I need help. I need help. I need people. Right. And right. those people's salaries cost money. 
Right, right, <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. I think, and that that is such a huge part of it is um, understanding that your goal is to help as many people as possible. It's to have right. a bigger impact because you know there's a need out there for your services. You're knowing that there are more people who could benefit from working with you. And the only way to make that happen is to stop running a hobby or a charity and start really getting serious about running a business, a yeah. business that has other people involved to help you deliver the services. Because like you said, eight hours a, eight hours a week, I mean, eight, eight days a week is not enough if it's just you to make the kind of impact you want to make, it's right? It's not. It's yeah. really not. I mean, and it, like, for example, I'm on a lot of podcasts recently. Would not be possible without systems and team. Mm -hmm. exactly. Would not be possible. Yeah, oh, and intellectual in property. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. I'd be too busy delivering for people. <laughs> exactly. So talk to me. I, I was listening to a podcast episode of yours this morning recently that you had put out recently, and I really liked it. And so I want to talk because I think it's really relevant to this conversation. I want to talk about your podcast episode on the biggest mistakes or the top 10 mistakes. I think it was that, that women business owners make in sales. And um, the first one that you mentioned was imposter syndrome. And you've already yeah. touched on that a little bit by kind of discussing some of what you experienced and, and the, the negative self-talk that was sort of coming into your head about, well, I'm not really, you know, what, what credentials do I really have? And should I really be the one? So tell me about your experience with that and with the people that you coach and what you have learned about that. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I have to say. Um, I actually heard someone say this recently. I'm not going to say who it is because she's coming on the podcast, but it's not out yet. <laughs> but let's say she's a New York Times bestselling author and she's made a lot of people's careers, including Deepak Chopra, right? And she and I heard her on an interview recently and she said something like, us women need to stop having this conversation about worthiness. Like it needs to stop. This is getting old and tired. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Why, yeah. why is that? Why do you think that is? Why we have this conversation about worthiness or why it's getting old and tired? <laughs> why, why, do you, why do you feel like it's getting old and tired? Because I think it may be getting, because I wonder if it's old and tired for those who have been talking about it and dealing with it. Because women but it may use not it be old excuse. and tired. Yeah, because women, women use it, as, use it as an excuse not to move forward and take action. Right. And when she said that, I had to call myself out because I'm like, am I worthy of having this kind of a team? And then I start freaking out. Am I worthy of things being this easy? And then I start freaking out. And she was like, of course, you're worthy. You're born worthy. You are inherently worthy. Men don't have this conversation in their minds. They're like, what's the easiest way to get this done? And they get it done. Right. But us women, we like to ruminate in that worthiness conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, okay. There's a part of it. Like we do have some work to do, but it, it's it, like, it's getting tired. Like it, it like it is, like it is on repeat all the time. And there comes a point where you just got to put on your big girl panties and realize that what you have helps a lot of people. So get out of your own way and get out of your own BS. Stop yeah. letting your own BS take over your actions because it really comes down to daily decisions every day. Are you going to feed that voice of unworthiness that didn't even come from you to begin with? Are you going to use it as an excuse not to step up, right? Are you really going to be that concerned with what we, people think about you, like people you don't know from a can of paint? Yeah, I think that's excellent. And I also, what's making me think is how many times, how much money women have spent on 
taking courses. Oh God. Yes. Work Barbara through, work through those feelings of imposter, imposter syndrome, as opposed to spending money on something that will really help them make, make, make more money. Right, like, like team sales. or sales skills. <laughs> or yeah. like, yeah, like how to actually hire people and, and lead or, leaders. Or business. getting in the room with people who don't have these kinds of conversations. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. I love it. So tell me some of the top sales mistakes that you see other than other than this discussion, <laughs> repeated discussion of worthiness. What kind of mistakes do you think that you see women make in sales? I think the biggest mistake is that they're not proactive. Mm. Right. So what does that mean? Tell me that. Well, tell what me I mean by that. that is they wait for money to come to them. And then they have mm -hmm. conversations in their mind. I set up the funnels. I set up the emails. I posted on social media and I can't sell anything. Okay. Did you reach out to everybody who clicked on a sales page? No. Okay. Start there. Start hitting the phone. Start mm -hmm. shooting out emails, get in the DMS. Like there, there's no like magical fairy that just sprinkles like money glitter on you. It's not a thing. You have to go out there into the marketplace, especially if you're just trying to get something off the ground and you don't have that level of influence yet. Another mistake that I see people making, I've been railing about this in the online business spaces is I'm seeing women who don't even have cash flow coming in yet because they haven't learned sales, spending money on ads because somebody told them that's what they're supposed to do. As if ads are going to fix all your problems. No, they don't. Sales fixes your problems. Ads are not going to fix your problem. But you have to have sales conversations with someone. Exactly. Right. And even if you run ads, right. I had this conversation with someone yesterday, and this is the third mistake where they're not testing their services or products out in the marketplace. Right. Before they start really spending ad dollars on it. Right. Because I'll be like, did you do market research? Usually the answer is no. Right. Or whatever market research advice they got was stuff like, well, what color lipstick does your market wear? And I'm like, are you selling lipstick? No. Then why does it matter? But what kinds of things do you think that they need to be doing in terms of market research? So remember, so, our audience is largely women law firm owners. So they own their own law firm and their clients are people with legal problems that they solve. Right. Well, that's actually really easy with lawyers. Lawyers are actually really easy sell because the urgency is there and you're solving really big problems. What I would do is I would interview either past clients or current, uh, current clients, or if you don't have any clients yet, people who would be your market, right? And be like, hey, what is this specific problem? You know you have this problem. Why haven't you fixed it? What are the obstacles in the way of you fixing this problem? How can I better serve you, right? Not what would you pay for this? right? Do you want this? What should I name my thing? None of that stuff is even relevant. We got to get clear on what the problems are and what's stopping people from solving those problems to begin with so that you can become a spectacular marketer and salesperson because you'll know what the problems are before it even comes out of their mouths and you're already going to know how to address them. That's number one. And number two, once you have that information, you can create a spectacular service that gets people results. Mm -hmm. You can make them feel seen. So let me ask you this, you, you mentioned, I think this was on your podcast, but if it's not, I'm sure you're familiar with it. I think you mentioned something about people charge, not charging enough for their services. Now oh, yeah. I know I see this, I know I see this a lot in coaching land with coaches who start out their heart centered coaches and they, right. you know, they don't want to, you know, so there's a lot of, uh, that feeling of, you know, worthiness that's being addressed in terms of helping people. And so they don't charge enough. I also see it with attorneys, especially because attorneys, a lot of women law firm owners with whom I have spoken are in a place where they want to 
serve people. They want to help people. They are having people sitting across from them who have some serious problems, serious legal problems. And they know that they can help them, but they want to get paid for it. And oftentimes they're not charging nearly enough for what the, what they're doing, especially for what it takes to really help people solve their legal problems. So you mentioned in a conversation with someone else that it's easier to sell something that you charge more for than yep. to sell some something that's a low. And I think a lot of people would be, so, t- so give me an, ex- talk, talk to me about that. Cause you specifically had someone that you said, raise your, double your, double what you're charging. Yeah. Actually she was a former <laughs> attorney who worked for a nonprofit that one. Um. <laughs> uh, that's classic. Yeah. So she had that going on and, you know, she's getting out of law. She now has something called immigrant finance school where she helps children of immigrants, first generation immigrants really understand the financial systems in the United States and build wealth. And because she was an immigration attorney at her day job and it was one catastrophe after another, she's like, we sue the U S government every other day. (laughs) So funny that you bring that one up because she's an attorney and she, it was, it's an exceptional program where people were getting exceptional results, right? But she was only charging like 500 bucks and no one would buy it. She was like, I can't sell this thing. I can't figure out what it is. And I said, make it over a thousand dollars. And she was like, I can't do that. I'm trying to help people. I was like, make it over a thousand dollars. Just do what I say. And that's exactly what she did. She sold $4,000 in like a week or two. And she's like, what the hell? Now everybody wants it. Right. And, I'm, and then when she asked, and sometimes people who had told her no before, right, she went back. And when she asked them, they said, we thought there was something wrong with it because you were undercharging. Isn't that interesting? They thought there was something wrong with it. And, the, yeah. and there's psychological data to back that up, by the way. Right. Like yeah. people, people like we all know the thing um, you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody's heard mm-hmm. that. Well, if we go back into our own history, we realize that's typically true. Right, right. So when we see something that we know should be of more value, right, and it's undervalued, it, like we're not even consciously aware that we're doing it. We're just automatically like, oh, something's wrong with it. It must not be that good. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot I of research about, and data to back that up too. I think about that a lot of times when I see all of the online offers for, you know, I, I understand the philosophy behind doing the $27 this or the $37. Oh, that's just to offset your like ad a, costs. Oh, I know exactly. No, I know exactly what that is, but I'm saying, but when you're, but if you were looking at it as a buyer and you're seeing they give all these things for 27 or $37, you're like, you know, there's a moment of skepticism that comes in your brain that makes you go, really? I don't think so. Right. So I I understand the philosophy behind it, but I, I find it interesting. The, the whole idea of charging, you know, people looking at something and saying, you get what you pay for. And I once had a coach say to me years ago around money mindset, and this really, this really flipped things for me was people, sometimes there are people who just want to give you money Yeah. and they, they just want, and they may, they, those people may not even ever do your program. They may not even show up for your coaching. They may not do, they just, just the act of giving you money creates something for them that they need that they need or want from an energetic or universal sort of standpoint, just the act. And I think about how many times I've bought programs through the years and not finished them. But if I got one gold nugget out of it, it was worth it for me. 
or if I did something and, and, and there was something else that it showed me that I needed to know. So sometimes we're just repelling money because we're too busy trying to get in the other people, other person's head about their money, what their money story is and kind mm-hmm. of projecting onto them what they can and cannot afford. Yes. You- I cover that in my sales training. Actually, like, do not make assumptions about what people can and cannot afford. A, it's rude, right? B, you don't know what their situation is. They could borrow the money. They could like, oh, okay, so I come from finances. Oh, I remember what that thing was that that coach told me to tweak, right? So I used to have a hard time having people use their credit cards to pay me because I was like, no, like credit cards are bad. Like I just had you were this, like, a finance weird... writer. And because I was a finance that. writer and I learned all that, right? I, it's so funny. I'm like, when I actually built a company and had to learn how to scale, like it's like I had to unlearn a lot of the stuff I learned as a financial expert to make any real money. It was very yeah. interesting. Um, that's huge. Oh, that's a huge statement there. I just want to absorb yeah. that for a minute. That Because I think that that's the part that has been so, that bothers me so much is you read article after article after article of how to make, you know, how, how so-and-so got wealthy. And it's always about budgeting and cutting and, and coupon clipping and, yeah. you know, and they look, never mentioned that they're making multiple six figures in a salary. Yeah. 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 They never mentioned that it's about, they increase their income or yeah. they live in their parents' house. <laughs> yeah. And so that allows them to save all of their income which great. They made an awesome choice. If you're, you can do, I did that when I started scaling my business, I did that. I moved out of that condo. Right. And thank God I did because I was, I had a weird intuition that something was coming and this is where I wanted to be. Right. Right. But that's what I've been doing right now. That being said, my time as a personal finance writer really helped me. I decided to make that decision while I was Mm -hmm. um, scaling my business. I'm like, let me go home. Right. I'm part owner of the property anyway. And then I got to keep an eye on the other one. Right. And I, I mean, I had just hired my first employee. I didn't know where this was going to go. I had no idea. But at the very least, I was like, okay, so I have a safety net just in case because I'm about to take on a whole lot of risk, right? And number mm-hmm. two, if it pans out, I'm socking away half my salary. And that's exactly what I've been doing. I've been putting half my salary into investments since I made that decision. That being said, I'm really open about it. But I yeah. learned that from my personal finance days, right? Or you learn about house hacking from your personal finance days. I was recently interviewed on a radio show by a real estate investor. She's like, yeah, house hacking is the thing to do. Don't go just buy a house just to live in it. Millennials are house hacking, right? Meaning they'll rent out other rooms and then that offsets the cost of the thing and then they own the property. That's great, right? Or like now I know what to do with the salary that I pay myself from my business, but a lot of the financial advice that's out there is geared toward people with set incomes and as a business owner a you can make whatever kind of money you want b um and this was a a lesson i really had to learn um because it was messing up my money was um there's a difference between consumer debt and leveraging credit to get to the next place of where you want to go oh good excellent i love this topic go into that a little bit deeper so with consumer debt and this is what you see with most of the personal finance articles it's like someone bought a bunch of stuff like they made bad choices in their 20s because there's no personal finance education in the system i could go off about this forever right Mm. but no one no one knows right and then on top of that a lot of times your family didn't know either. They're probably more dysfunctional than you are. And they're just repeating their parents' dysfunctions and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's an epidemic, honestly. 
the lack mm -hmm. of financial literacy. So you make a bunch of mistakes in your 20s, right? Then you spend your 30s making yourself feel like ish for the mistakes that you made with money in right. your 20s, right? right. And then it's, you feel like you have to play catch up, right? Um, so a lot of the personal finance articles that are out there, it's almost like because people are already in a problem because there was never financial education to begin with. And I right. think that's a really important thing to, to, for people to understand. And I say that as a personal finance writer, it's because we're trying to solve a problem that already exists. Right. We're, we can't go back and undo what's been done as far as, as far as where we are and things. And so there's, amount of, there's a certain amount of stop beating yourself up for it kind of thing. Yeah. But I, I, what you were talking, you started talking about, so there's consumer debt. Yeah. And the so, things, like, yeah. I, yeah. I remember when I was on, um, when I was in college, I'm much older than you are, but I remember when I went to college, they had, they were started allowing, they just started allowing credit cards. Oh yeah. The free pizza, the free cap, the free and, this, and the just free like, that. You, yeah. You, now's the time to sign up for your credit card because you want to start establishing your credit now. Right. Well, that's exactly what you don't want to give kids, you know, kids that yeah. have no idea it's free money and you're desperate for it, you know? And so I, I ran up a lot of credit card debt as a college yep. student. And, and that to happened that to a lot of people. And I'm the generation of writers who was writing about the card act of 2009 that got rid of that. Right. Yeah, but yeah. that's what I mean is a lot of the personal finance advice that's out there. It's either for people with limited incomes or it's people who are already bleeding out. Like Dave Ramsey, I don't like the guy for a lot of reasons. Right. Um, like ethically, I cannot get behind this guy. However, I will say that if you're bleeding out, his system works. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. you want to build wealth, not, a, not so much. Not a fan of Dave Ramsey, but yeah, but we'll we won't we won't make this a you know, like yeah yeah. Dave Ramsey, but I I like where you're going with the conversation about, but what is the education for business owners who are creating wealth and they're getting the money coming in and now we have to do something with the money, right? Now we got to do something with the money. Yeah. So it's interesting because it was tripping me up in my sales. Right. And you know, a quarter of my clients come from the financial space and it was something similar because that's what they're drilled with. What's so funny is financial experts know that all this stuff is BS because they're building their own businesses, but they're still selling it, which is we're still saying it, which is one of the reasons I couldn't continue being in the personal finance space to that degree, mm -hmm. because I'm like, people are still not moving forward because there's this whole other part of the conversation yeah. that's not being talked about. So I ethically kind of couldn't do it anymore. Um, that was another reason I made the switch. But um, yeah, so in the business, it's different. I've had to leverage credit to get to where I am. And mm -hmm. that's fine. That's okay. And in real estate investing, you leverage credit. It's fine. Right. Right. right? There's nothing wrong with that if you actually know how to use it as a tool. The problem is with consumer debt is most people don't know how to use it as a tool or they had that experience where someone was on their college campus being like, build your credit and then you think it's free money and then you make a lot of mistakes and then all the finance advice that's out there is don't buy lattes to pay off your consumer debt from your 20s. Right, right, right. And I think people, ha I, I think people once people pay off some consumer debt, they have PTSD about oh yes a thousand about credit then and they go yes i I, yes. I don't want to borrow money to do this thing or i don't want to yes. borrow money to do that and it's like but it's this not is, the same it's thing different yeah. it's a different yeah what do you think you're going to make more are? money that's so the difference is you're going to make more money so for example um i have a great story about this so i had to learn the hard way because right before the the economic shutdown and everything of 2020 i had taken on twenty thousand dollars of business debt 
to finish building out systems in my company, right? Mm -hmm. This was in February of 2020. Then came March 2020. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great, great time to have twenty thousand dollars in debt, right? When the economy like collapses and no one knows what's going on and there's a virus going around killing people. Like great time to have debt. Right. right? And and um so a quarter of my we lost one of our biggest contracts because their business was shut down overnight. Uh, we had clients who were really struggling because their businesses were shut down because they relied on a lot of in-person stuff, right? So there were a lot of fires to put out and all these old stories about like, oh my God, you're a failure. Oh my God, you have the debt. Oh my God. And on top of that, I went through 2008, 2009, 2010. So a lot of millennials actually, right? Because they had such a horrible time with 2008, 2009, 2010 when they were coming out of school, right? Now comes 2020 and we're like, oh, really again? Like, and this one's mm-hmm. worse, mm-hmm. right? So there was like a triggering that happened almost. Right. And yeah, it was really bad. I was talking to a friend last night, actually. He's like, yeah, you were a mess. <laughs> <laughs> and so how did you pull yourself out of that? Yeah, so the way that I pulled myself out of that, actually, I got into a new environment. So I stopped, like, I was still involved with the personal finance space to a degree. And I was like, okay, I can't be here anymore, right? Like, I got to go find a new community. I got to go find a new thing. Right. So I found a wonderful community of female entrepreneurs who did talk about actually she's an attorney, Rachel Rogers. Right. Who did talk about, um, you know, building wealth and scaling and that kind of stuff. So I found new communities. I think that was the biggest thing for me was finding new communities of people who were thinking about wealth and expansion. And the other saving grace that I had was even though emotionally I was a bit of a mess, like probably most people went through in 2020, like we're human and there was a lot going on. So no shame in that, right? Um, But logically, I knew what I had to do. I knew I was sitting on the opportunity of a lifetime. Right. Right. I knew I just had to learn how to get out of my damn feelings. And the first step to that was getting in better environments that were having a different kind of conversation. I had to get out of the personal finance spaces that were like, don't sell. Don't sell right now. Or like, I'm like, what? What do you think is going to keep this thing running while we're in chaos? It's sales. That's the only thing that makes economies move, <laughs> right? Exactly. Right? So I knew, yeah. I knew logically what I had to do, but I had to put myself in different environments to get out of the emotions of it and be around other conversations that were going on. I think that was my saving grace. I probably spent more money. Well, now in 2021, I spent even more money on mentorship. But in 2020, I, like, I was spending money I didn't have to get mentorship, right? Right. But I knew right. I was going to make it back if I was just in the right rooms and getting the right information. And, and honestly, like 2020 took everything from us except our own mindsets. That's it. Yeah. That's all we had. It came for our money. It came for our health. It came for our activities. It came for everything. The only thing we had left was our minds. So when, once I got out of my feelings and got in the better environments and reminded myself I'm that B, right, which sometimes I tell my clients, I'm like, you got to remember you are that B. Like you are, <laughs> right? And reminded myself of that. Like, girl, look what you've built, right? My team was also incredible, right? Um, we paid it off in, I, I could have paid it off in eight weeks. The only reason I didn't was because I wanted to stack more cash, but I had the ability to pay it off in eight weeks. Paid it off yeah. in like 12. Yeah, yeah. I just did yeah. it again. I just did it again this last quarter, right? Like took on some debt to get some mentorship and some training and get in the room, paid it all off earlier this week. Yeah. Yeah. And the key with that is taking, when you're taking it on, getting, applying it, applying what you learn. 
Yeah, we execute fast. My team and I execute, like we actually had a mentor um, that she was teaching me about referral partnerships and there's a lot of snail mail involved and a lot of gifts and things. And I just recently interviewed her on my podcast and I immediately sent her a card and she goes, I've never seen anybody execute as fast as you do. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, I will say we execute really fast, like immediately, like we don't even think about it. Yeah, that's huge. It's huge to get. Have you always been that way though? Yes. It's just something you've learned over time. So you, no, I've always been that way. Yeah, jump in and, and go for it. I mean, if um, I paid all this money, like I need to implement the stuff and implement it fast. Exactly. Like exactly. I've decided I'm getting a return. I'm not getting a return unless I do what they say. Exactly. You can't, it's just sitting there, sitting there with it in your head. And I think this is, I think that's, that's, a, that's really something impor- important to point out because I think a lot of people think, well, if I have the knowledge, it's all I need, right? Nope. But it's the knowledge is not nearly enough. I mean, we it's can the intellectualize. Of the yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and people who are very intellectual, you know, crave the knowledge and they think if somebody will just tell me the answer to this, then I will, what nine times out of 10, there's something else that, that's blocking them from doing the thing. And it's their own mindset about it. Yep. The mindset is huge. And I love what you said about getting in a room with where the conversation is different. I'm, I'm always telling my clients that is that the conversation you need to be around when you're, when you're with people who are making money, the conversation is different. Completely different. We were at Grant Cardone's offices about a month ago because we're doing an accelerator program. And I, and here's the other thing business owners need to learn. Y'all need to develop your employees. We will talk about that later. At some point I'm doing training on this. I don't know when. Right. But I bought an accelerator for my right, like my, one of my key employees. Right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. she needs to, cause she's local to Miami. And I'm like, she needs to be in the room. Right. Most business owners would be like, Oh no, I can't do that. I'm only going to buy one. Really? You have to learn how to duplicate yourself by two or three. Right. Like start right. training up your people. Right. So anyway, I say that because you know, she was in the room and she had started going in and she was like really nervous. Right. She's like, Oh my God, this guy's like rough. Cause all she's seen is like YouTube videos. Right. And, and she's like, and she's like, I'm introverted. I'm shy. I don't know. I don't know. She got in that room. Right. And there were only 60 people in that room. Right. Who mm. paid significant amounts of money to be there. Right? right. Completely different conversation and mindset than what is going on in the outside world. Right. They were encouraging her. They were pushing her out of her comfort zone, but in a really loving way. Right. Like you can do this. You got it. They were pouring into her. She walked out of there a brand new woman. And you know what she told me? She goes, I felt really good there. Like I felt really good in that environment. And I'm like, oh, congratulations. You've realized you're a high performer and you can't be around basic ass conversations. Yes, yes, yes. It it elevated her energy. It elevated her vibration. Completely. I mean, she walked into the team meeting on Monday. She's like, all right, we're getting these 60 inbound emails done. And I was like, oh my God. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but she felt so much more confident and so much more like, oh my God, this is where I need to be. You know, like I felt really good here. And I'm like, yeah, because she goes, it's, it's a completely different conversation. And she was telling me like, my friends aren't having these kinds of conversations right? She's only 25. And she's like, I'm in rooms with multimillionaires. And I'm like, you're welcome. (laughs) Also interesting about what you're talking about, about your experience and the experience I'm sure of your clients as well, is it's not really, it's not a one and done thing. Like it's not something where we go and then we get all fired up and then we, you go, it's something where you're constantly looking for sources that feed and support from like-minded people 
or people who are have elevated the conversation above where you are that you want to get it it is constantly looking for that fuel and keeping it keeping that fire going for yourself and I, because i think what can happen oftentimes is we go we go and we're in an environment with people that really energize us and make us feel great about what's going on in our business and then we immediately get back into our environment we get in into working in our business instead of on our business right and it's so limiting we don't realize how important that community is of people who are doing what you're doing and doing what you're wanting to do right and and which is create create more create more whatever that is right create more impact create more wealth create more as opposed to constantly looking at shrinking instead of expanding you know yeah yeah, yeah. and 2020 was one of those years and i said y'all need to make a decision win or lose there will be winners on the other side of this and you got to make a yeah. choice and it sounds really callous right and no one wants to hear it but it is real no one i mean people thought i was nuts right and now they're like okay you were right and i'm like i told y'all but that was also from my finance background where i'm like oh yeah economic crisis there's going to be a lot of wealthy people on the other side of this if you yeah. play your cards right yeah 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 for sure so what else do you want before we wrap up here today what else would you say for women law firm owners from a sales perspective, what else would you share with them if you could leave them with like one gold nugget to walk away from this conversation? If you really want to grow a business, you have to be proactive. And what I would say to that, and I'm, I'm going to loop back around to something that you said about wanting to help people. You can help people, but you can't save people. No one's coming to save you and no one's coming to save anybody else either. And if you really want to help people and you really want to help them, right? You have to realize that in order to help the amount of people you want to help and do it well, and if you want to help them well, where they actually get results, it takes money. It takes resources. So everybody wants to do a good job and wants to be an integrity. And they think that, oh, if I'm asking for a lot of money, I'm not an integrity. No, that's not the case at all. You need the money in order to do a good job. You said, I mean, you said it yourself that they're undercharging and it doesn't even cover what they need to do in order to even handle the case properly. You said it yourself. That's actually a disservice to you and a disservice to the client. So once we make the connection that we need resources in order to really help people, my attorney, my, my attorney client who was struggling with charging, that's the thing that, that really connected for her when she made that mm -hmm. connection between like, it does take money for me mm -hmm. to change the things I want to change in the world. It does take right. resources for me to do a really good job. It does take resources for me to get out there even more and help more people. And that's yeah. okay. And I, and I want to, I want to expand on that a little bit because when you're talking about resources, so a lot of, a lot of women law firm owners have no trouble making money to grow their firm to where they're very busy and full and they might have a couple of staff people helping them, but making that leap, they're still spending way too much of their time. They're exhausted yeah. from overwork. So having enough to be able to expand your team yes. and invest in your team and invest in training for your team yes. so that it pulls you out of all the doing is, you know, it's because some people, some, yeah, some people think, oh, you know, I'm going to get to, to six figures and that's great. Or then it's, you know, maybe I'll get to, more than that, so I'm taking home six figures and I'm good here. But you're talking about at some point, you, 
something may happen in your life. You may decide to have a child. You may be sick. I, I'm always talking to women law firm owners who at some point have experienced some sort of crisis where they need to be out of their business. And usually that's when they have the realization and they look around and they go, I don't have any other attorneys working for me. I can't yeah. be out. Like everything grinds to a halt. That's and, what happened to my attorney. Yeah, mm -hmm. that she she now has something called the creator's law firm because that's exactly what happened to her. Her father was dying, right? And and she had to do the funeral and the obituary and all the things. And at the same time, she had some sort of emotion that was due or something because she was still, and she's like, oh my God, I got to scale this thing. Yeah, makes a huge difference, huge difference. Well, I thank you so much for being here. I wish I could talk with you another hour, but I know we need to wrap up. So tell us how we can find out more information about your business and connect with you. I know you're on all the socials, right? I'm on all the socials. So if you just uh, search Amanda Obeya, we're most active on Instagram probably. So at Amanda Obeya, we have a free Facebook group called High Ticket Sales for Women Coaches and Course Creators. If you're an attorney, it's fine. You're still going to learn how to sell. It's great. It's all the same, right? Um, and then uh, we have a podcast called Make Money Your Honey. So you could just go to makemoneyyourhoney.com and you'll find all the all the goodies well good but before we completely wrap up now that you mentioned your book make money your honey give us just a little quick uh synopsis of what we'll find in that book right so make money your honey came about because i quit my job and i did exactly what i teach i did 100 interviews with people in my market and i was like hey what, what are you dealing with like what are you struggling with everybody was freaked out about money and everybody wanted to be an entrepreneur I was like, okay. So what I did was I took all the questions that they had and I put it into this book with some answers. So you'll find more of my story, obviously. So from like 2010 to like 2014 is the story. I got to write a second book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot right? has changed since then. <laughs> a lot has changed since then, right? But a lot of the foundations still apply. Um, and so the first part is about that productivity. It's about, okay, well, how do I manage what's going on in the day? The whole second part is sales, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third part is like, great, I'm starting to make money now. How do I have a better relationship with the money? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. So people can find your book on, I'm assuming. Amazon. You can find it on the website. You can find it in all the places. Fabulous. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here, Amanda. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed it a lot. Thank you so much for having me. It was amazing. And you asked some really insightful questions no one has ever asked me before. You're very good at this. I hope you hear oh, that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the league in the coming year, including the exclusive million dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one -one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.